As you're turning there, uh, since this is basically a uh, part two of a two-part message on this uh, big event in Acts chapter 15, I want us to just review for a minute, just think about uh, what happened at the beginning of this chapter. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, um, basically at that time, things were going great in the church. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had just gotten back to Antioch after their first missionary journey. The people were rejoicing about the new folks that had come to the Lord, the spread of the gospel. Things were going great. And then, uh, of course, something happens, right? When things are just going so great, you know, something's coming. Something's going to happen. And, of course, it did. But this was not uh, the something, was, was not the persecution from the outside that had so often happened to Paul and Barnabas and, and, and Peter and others as they had preached the gospel, where folks would get mad at them and try to persecute them, run them off, stone them, whatever. But no, this is um, some uh, trouble that, uh, that came up from within the church. And, and as we talked about, we had not seen that type of uh, situation uh, real, real often in the book of Acts. Most of the time it was outsiders, unbelievers, it was uh, Jews who were jealous of the attention that, that these Christians were getting. But, but there's been a few things that have happened so far in the book of Acts. And, um, you know, we, we look way back and, and, and there was a situation where earlier in Acts there was a, a distribution to widows of food, those who, who needed some help. And one group said, well, our widows aren't getting as much as your widows. And so they had to stop and they had to... To address that issue, um, basically uh, uh, there was a perception that we're treating uh, different groups or different classes of people differently. And so the church had to pull together and, and solve that issue before it could move on. And then there was the Ananias and Sapphira issue where this, two, this couple, this man and wife, um, they lied uh, to the church. And the Bible says in doing so they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so... Um, uh, God really supernaturally took care of that because he took them out. And that was a sign to the early church that uh, that deception to the church uh, was not to be allowed. And so here we come with a, a, <clears throat> a third problem for the church that comes from within. And this has to do with um, some, some legalists. That is, some people who are trying to put people under the rules. Specifically, the church was up here in Antioch, and this group of folks from down here in Jerusalem, they came up to Antioch. Now, remember, the Jerusalem church would have been made up almost completely of Jews at this time. But the church in Antioch was a church. Uh, this was up in Syria, and this church had all sorts of different people, and a lot of them were not Jews or had no Jewish background uh, whatsoever. And this group comes from Jerusalem and goes up here and says, Oh, by the way, you folks, you need to, uh, you say you've become Christians. Well, you need to follow everything in the Old Testament law, beginning with circumcision and then all the little bitty details that follow along after that. In other words, you basically have to convert to being a Jew, then you can become a Christian. You can't just become a Christian. You've got to follow all the Jewish rules, regulations, and laws. And so, of course, this created a huge stir. And Paul and Barnabas, who were there at the church in Antioch, they said, no, that's not the case. And they didn't let this teaching go unopposed. 
but it, it just wasn't seeming to get resolved. And everybody said, you know what? If we're going to settle this, let's send a group down to Jerusalem. That's where most of the rest of the apostles are. That's where the church was founded there in Jerusalem. Let's go down there and let's settle this thing. And so the Bible says they went and they, they had their say, and, and both sides had their say. And the church <clears throat> ended up uh, saying Paul and Barnabas spoke, Peter spoke, and finally James, the brother of Jesus, who seemed to be the lead apostle um, in the church at this time, he kind of sums everything up and says, you know what, here's what we're going to do. So when we pick up today, now we're picking up with, all right, the decision's been made in Jerusalem. Now, how is that going to get communicated back to Antioch? What's going to happen? Just because the Jer Jerusalem decision has been made, that doesn't mean the people in Antioch know about it or that it's changed their lives yet. So I want to ask you if you would please stand with me. <coughs> We're going to read Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Then the apostles and elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates, and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabbas, and Silas. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sending Judas and Silas, to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we ask that this word that we have read, Father, that you would use your Holy Spirit to work among us, to open our hearts to your message. Father, not just that we may know more, but Father, that we we may be made more like Jesus, and that we may walk and live in the ways of wisdom and love and peace. Father, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. 
We've all had frustrating experiences in life. Perhaps some of the most frustrating experiences are experiences where we lack clarity. Especially when we are responsible to do something and we aren't given instruction for how exactly to do it. Your boss comes to you and says, well, um, or your teacher says, well, I, I want this report and I want it to be uh, on this. And you say, well, can you give me some, oh, you know, just, just do it. Just do it. You know, you, you'll know what's right. And just, just make it reasonable. And, and, and maybe they give you some, some terminology that, you know, the problem is you know right then and there. That when you turn in that work or that report, that what you consider to be reasonable, what you consider to be okay, is gonna, can be very far off from what they considered. One of the most important things that, that we like, whether we're students or just uh, workers, what, whatever, if we're given a task to do, we, we want to know how to do it clearly. If, if you, you know, now if you're a lazy person who wants to get out of work, maybe, maybe you like the ambiguity. Maybe you want to say, well, it wasn't really clear, so I just didn't do anything, you know, or whatever. But <coughs> most of us, we want some clarity in our lives so that we can really do our job well. We want to know what's expected. And it's very frustrating when we get stuck in a situation where we're not really sure what we're doing, whether it's going to be the right thing or not. And that was kind of what these people in Antioch were stuck in. Here they were, they, were, they had come to know Jesus. Most of them had never heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they never knew that there was one God who created them and loved them. And, and finally they hear this gospel message being preached from Barnabas or Paul or one of these other believers. And they're so excited. And, and they come to faith and they're worshiping Jesus. They're following him. They're loving him. And things are great until all of a sudden these guys show up and they start muddying the waters. They're like, oh, yeah, you, you told you were supposed to believe in Jesus. But oh, guess what? There's more to the story. There's all these other things that you have to do. And so for the believers, all of a sudden this joy that they had in just loving Jesus and following him, the, the waters got muddied. And things got difficult. And um, they weren't, the church wasn't able to move forward. There wasn't the same joy. There wasn't the same singleness of purpose. There wasn't the same unity. All because of this confusion uh, that had been introduced into the church. As I think about this issue in Acts chapter 15, I believe that one of the greatest things that a church and its leadership, whether it's pastor, its board, any other type of leadership, or just a church as a whole. One of the greatest things a church can do for its members is to say, here's clearly what is expected of you. Here's clearly how to live. And to not get caught up in a bunch of extraneous things, a bunch of silly, trivial things on the side. We talked about how in Acts chapter 15, the, the disciples made this decision. And, and they came down and they said, here's what we're going to do. I want us to think about how this response that we read this weekend, how <coughs> every part of this letter really reinforces clarity. It gets rid of that confusion. 
and it introduces clarity and simplicity so that these believers in Antioch can just pick back up and move forward uh, on that track that they were moving forward in serving the Lord. He begins and he says, This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. It begins with saying, hey, we're, your, we're the elders. In other words, we're the ones that you're looking for clarification from. But it doesn't put them so far above them or distant from them. It says, we're your brothers. We're, we're family in Christ. And it's to who? Antioch, Syria, Sicilia, all of these people. This letter was going not just to the one church at Antioch, but all the surrounding area that would have been caught up in this kind of debate and this issue going on. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching, but we did not send them. The first thing they want to clarify and get straight is, guess what? Those people came from us, but they weren't from us, right? Uh, <clears throat> it, it's one of those things, uh, over the years, you know, you, you learn. When people come to you and they say, well, um, you know, there's some folks in this group that have been talking, and what we feel is, and I, I, I've learned to say, oh, so what you feel is, right? I mean, because what we feel can be one or two people uh, masquerading as the whole group. And that's basically what this group of troublemakers had done. They weren't leaders in, in the church in Jerusalem. They weren't carrying the official doctrine and word. But they kind of set it upon themselves and said, uh, we're from Jerusalem and so you need to do it the way we tell you to do it. And so the first thing they, uh, they set straight is to say, hey, these are people that uh, they're not from us. And, uh, you know, they could have really said a lot more about them, but I think they got the point across. They're from us, but they're not from us. They're not the ones you need to be listening to. Okay, so if, if we're not supposed to be listening to them, who should we listen to? Well, they go on and they say, So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who risk their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sending Silas, Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. He does two things here with, with the, uh, the official representatives. Number one, he says, okay, we've sent some people from Jerusalem that you can count on, you can trust. And that is a man named Judas, also called Barsabbas. And by the way, Judas was a very common name. None of us name our kids Judas now, right? But it was a very common name. It was just a Greek form of the, of the Hebrew Judah, and, uh, which was one of the 12 tribes. So uh, Judas was a very common name. So he had a, another name to identify him. That was Barsabbas. And then Silas, who we are going to hear about a lot more later on in this book, as Silas joins up with, with Paul. And by the way, you'll see Silas in other places in the New Testament, but his name is a little different. Uh, it's often Silvanus, which is a Roman form 
uh, of the name Silas. So if you ever see Silvanus in the New Testament, that's another way of saying Silas's name. So first of all, they say <coughs> you can trust uh, Judas and Silas. They are the official representatives of us. Unlike these other folks who went out on their own, you can trust them. You can believe them with the message. And they clarified that. But, you know, as, as important that was as getting the official representatives, they also knew that Paul and Barnabas, since these other people had kind of cast doubt on them and their word, they knew that they needed to uplift them and put them in, in their rightful place. And so they said, our beloved Paul and Barnabas. And they, these men risked their lives for the gospel. In other words, we've sent our official representatives, but along with them, we've sent Paul and Barnabas back to, back to you, and we hold them in the highest regard. And you should too. So there was a clarity of, we don't believe these troublemakers. Who do we believe? We believe the official representatives, Judas and Silas, and we believe Paul and Barnabas. They're trustworthy men who you can believe on and you can count on. And then in verse 27, it says, We're sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning the question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating meat offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. So he says, instead of all of these hundreds of laws that these people are trying to put on you, he said, there's just four things I want you to make sure that you take care of. And you watch out for these four things, and, um, and we'll be able to live in peace. And the Jewish side and the Gentile side of the church will be able to get along together. Now, my question, and I think probably many people's question when we read this passage is, why these four things? Out of all the rules and regulations and laws that, that the church at Jerusalem could have said, now these are the four things that if you just make sure you do these four things, then you'll get along okay with the Jewish part of the church. Why these four? Well, there's a lot of potential uh, and possible answers, uh, but the one that I found the most interesting and, and the most logical is that these four things, if you go back to the book of Leviticus, there are some guidelines for when non-Jewish people are living among the Jews. Here, there were a list of four things that non-Jewish people, if they wanted to live in the midst of, of Israel and the Jewish people, that they needed to abide by those things. Now, they didn't have to necessarily... Um, you know, do, uh, do everything that you Jews did, but they had to do these things and they could live in peace among the Jews. And if you compare that from Leviticus to these laws right here, they're very similar, very close. And so um, I believe basically he said, <clears throat> look, there's no need for a new, a new law here. We've, Jesus never said these people have to become Jews to become part of the church, to become part of his kingdom. They've just become Christians. 
So if we want to live together in harmony and peace with Jews and Gentiles together in the church, we simply need to go back and look to what's already been written. Clear enough. And so he gives these requirements. Abstaining from eating food offered to idols. Um, Obviously, you want to avoid idolatry. Consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals. And by strangled animals, he's talking about animals that have not had the blood drained from them. Um, And from sexual immorality. He says, basically, if there's a Jewish part of the church and a Gentile part of the church, as long as we're following these guidelines, everybody will be able to get along and be okay. And um, if you want to know, well, how did they receive that? How did the people take that? Were they okay with those with those four guidelines, uh, absolutely they were. At verse 31, it says, And there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. The whole episode tells us that life is tough. Life is hard. Life has plenty of challenges. And so it's our job to not make it any tougher for people. It's our job to make the Christian faith as clear and as simple as we can for people to follow it so we don't add extra burdens to them. And when we do that, when we present the gospel in a clear way and just tell folks what it's really about, then they can live their life in joy and peace following what God has called them to follow. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we would all like to live in a world uh, without struggle, without sorrow, without sin. That's why we look forward to the day of your coming. That's why we look forward to eternity. But we understand that right here and now, Father, that that we're going to face troubles and, and trials and hardships. Lord, many of those from without, from the outside. But Father, we pray that you would prepare us for struggles that come from within. Lord, help us to be clear. Help us to be a people who do not place additional burdens to make it tough on people to follow the Lord. But God, help us to be the type of people that help others to have joy and peace in their faith. Help us to make the Christian faith, to communicate it and to live it and to teach it in a way that is clear and simple that others may follow and they may live their lives in a way that honors you without being overburdened by extraneous, extra needless stuff piled on top. Father, be with us now as we go into this invitation. And Lord, help us to respond to your speaking and your work in our hearts today. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.